I don't want to say anything. I've tried saying Okay, anything. so try again. Release yourself. Oh, release you, you mean? Yeah, fine. Release me. Just say it. Just fucking say it. Don't you swear at me, you little shit. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. Do you understand? All I do is worry and slave and defend you. And all I get back is that fucking face on your face. So full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed. I can say that, you know, I, I wanted to make a film that served as a vivid family drama before any of the horror elements were even thought about, let alone attended to or, you know, executed. And I wanted all of the scary stuff to grow out of what we established in the first hour of the film. And so, you know, so I, I wanted it to come from a place of character. I wanted to make a very character-centric film that um, where, where all of the genre stuff is satisfied. It's all growing out of the themes at the heart of the film and, and the suffering that the, that the family is going through. I hope it's a very sorrowful genre film. I hope it, it functions as a serious meditation on grief and trauma while also hopefully being a very compelling and fun ride. Don't you know, we love you both more than anything in the whole world. But sometimes we, sometimes we just want to. <laughs> Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hey guys. Hi. Hello. The grown ups are talking. This week, everybody's got them. No matter who you are, <laughs> where you are, you had at one point two human beings that got together and made you, you disgusting creature. Mm. I, you know, personally, I just want to dedicate, right right out of the gate, I want to dedicate this week to the two parents that we have on the show every single week, mm-hmm. Kevin and Dave. You guys are great dads. Woo! I want a round of applause. Yeah. Kevin uh, and Dave. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. I wish Killing that it. every dad would be more like Kevin and Dave. Oh, To thanks. watch you guys over the years. I know your offspring. Um, and to watch you both be the the great dads that you are and i and i envy your your kids and you both have girls yep Mm -hmm. um i once i'm i'm not a parent i've never been a parent i don't plan to be so i'm gonna sort of take a back seat this week but i'm interested especially because one time i worked for a guy who uh he was like an older guy at the time he was already like you know late middle age or older than that and he had raised three kids. He had two boys, and then he had a, a girl, I think was his youngest, his daughter. And he told me uh, at the shop one day that uh, we were talking about stuff, and he said that nothing ever prepared him, no, no situation with his sons, nothing he ever went through, the worst night of his life, nothing prepared him for raising a daughter. And I feel like we're, we're about to get to the stage 
where you guys might start to experience that phenomenon. I think that whole stigma is bullshit or that whole mindset is bullshit. Like I hate the dads who are like, like, oh yeah, bring him, bring your boyfriend over here. If he tries any shit, I'll shoot him. And you know, it's like, mm. like I got a gun to, you know, like try to intimidate him and all that. Like, well, first of all, you want your child or, you know, to fall in love at some point. And they, they have to go through the same things that we all went through. But, you know, you should be, instead of be a gun-wielding macho fuck, like, you should just be a good role model so then your daughter looks for a nice guy instead of her father figure or for her actual father being uh, some brute, you know? Like, you don't need to, just because you have a daughter, maybe you should be more gentle. Maybe you, sh- you should not be so machismo. Yeah, for, first of all, Trent, thank you. That was very sweet to open the episode that way. I would like to say, and and I think Dave would echo this, that we have such a big group of eclectic people in our lives, like you, like Kat, like so many, that I think that my daughter is as well-adjusted as she is, in no small part because of all of you guys being in and out of her life. She's been exposed to so much more, so many more people and situations uh, than I think most kids are. And then I would definitely echo Dave. Uh, the toxic masculinity dad is not something that I think Dave and I are even capable of. And I'm hoping that it's the, the experiment has worked so far. And both of us are relatively close to the finish line. But I would agree with you, Trent. We are definitely entering the most vital phase. Mm. I would like to get these takes, yeah, in about five years. I'd like yeah. to revisit these takes. Uh, uh, and it, it's tough. I, I appreciate you saying that because my family was just down here for the first time since I moved to Memphis. Um, and I can't tell you how hard uh, Nora and I leaving each other was when the time finally came after having four days together. Um, so, yeah, I love being a dad. Dave's a great dad, and and Trent, I appreciate that. Cat, I appreciate the love you've always shown my family as well. I I wasn't saying that you know I wouldn't kill my daughter's boyfriend. I said I wouldn't use a shotgun, <laughs> and that I thought that was too macho. Something maybe a little yeah. bit more. We know much more creative indie horror ways to do away with people. Yeah, I like piano wire. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Piano wire is cold. Um, being the, uh, girl that grew up with the toxic masculinity father who's like, yeah, bring him around the shotgun. I'm like, dad, I haven't even seen you in like two years. Who are you, who are you going to even know? Who are you going to shoot? What are you talking about? So it's very inspiring. I wish I had fathers like you guys growing up. I wish I could have these conversations with my father, but, um, he is an emotionally unavailable biker. Uh, so I can't. Yeah. I wish, I wish I had a dad. Like Kevin or Dave, you know, that would have mm-hmm. been, I, I would probably be a, like a better person than I am. That's probably one of my problems. I didn't have a good dad uh, like you guys, you know, so I really admire that. Well, I can, I can still legally adopt you both. <laughs> yes. I was thinking the same well, well, thing. Well, well. Dave and I will draw names. Okay. Well, the thing that's weird now is that like I'm a childless dad. Like I'm definitely a dad, but I just don't actually have the kid. I, I'm still, I'm I'm in dad realm now. I know uh-huh. I'm a dad, um, but uh, father of all, mother of none. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Sad, sad. <laughs> fate. Deep, 
Down See, well, this, this was an emotional start to this episode. Wow. Well, this is your week. As far as I'm concerned, it's you guys are you the guys. parents. We're, it's mm-hmm. been uh, almost a full year since our kids episode. And we oh, had yeah. your kids on the show. And this week is, is about the parents. We just had Father's Day. So I, I kind of felt like I was going to step aside uh, this week and let you guys do the parenting, you know? But I still want to kill stuff. <laughs> You can. I You're still want, to. I want there to be blood. I want you know to be gore. I want to keep it gross. But <laughs> I do. This is a very heartfelt topic. Being a parent. Well, speaking of killing, the movie that I wanted to talk about this week is one that um, I I don't know how I stumbled upon this movie. It was a 2018 U.S. release for the film called Mom and Dad which stars Nick Cage and Selma Blair. I think we call him Nick now, right? I agree. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy you did that. Which I think is a great couple um, to in 2018 to be in a crazy horror movie. It was written, directed, and produced by a guy named Brian Taylor, who has done some stuff, but nothing. He made a movie called Crank. He made uh, the sequel oh. uh, called Crank High Voltage. He made Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, the sequel to the Marvel Ghost Rider movie with Nick Cage. He was a writer on a movie from 2008 called Pathology, which was a horror movie. But I didn't, I don't know where this guy came from. Um, but I love the movie Mom and Dad. And this is a, a rental right now. It's on Stars if you have Stars or you have the Stars through Amazon. Or you can rent it on Amazon or Vudu. Um, this is basically a zombie apocalypse movie. But instead of everyone turning into a bloodthirsty zombie, it's just parents, and they just want to kill their kids, and they just want to kill their own kids. So <laughs> something happens in the world, and every every parent just goes nuts, and they're filled with murderous rage directed only at their children. That's really all you need to know. I love this movie. I think it's so well done. I think it's brilliantly shot i think it's hilarious i think there are so many statements that i don't even i don't even know where to begin especially as a a childless dad um but i think this is great kevin had you seen this before i had i i I knew i had this one on my radar when it was out there like on the festival circuits and stuff like that it didn't get whole a whole lot of release theatrically i mean they spent four mil to bring in like a whopping 300,000 at the box office. But like Bloody Disgusting, like all the websites I always check, they were like Mom and Dad, Nick Cage and Selma Blair give a, an amazing performance off, you know, completely unhinged. Um, it made a lot of sense to me that this this rando Brian Taylor guy would be the writer-director because uh, he came from like a pretty action-heavy cinematography world. So I expected like he wrote, directed it, you know, he must have done cinematography. Coolest thing about Mom and Dad, the cinematographer is Daniel Pearl, who did the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So this guy got him in to do the cinematography work. And we've talked about Pearl before, but he's done a ton of horror. But he also did, like, Every Breath You Take, I'd Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That video. Um, Really random stuff. Anyway, that aside, uh, I didn't love this as much the second time. I was super excited the first time, so, and, I, and I just watched it and sort of took it all in. This time, you know, and we can get into it, but I, I didn't like um, the flashback scenes, or I, I guess I should more properly say I didn't like the placement of the flashback scenes. I loved the acting and the statements the flashback scenes were saying, 
but they were all placed in super intense moments in the movie that I didn't want interrupted. So like something crazy would be happening and then all of a sudden you'd have this like music video cut back to like a very specific, you have to now turn your brain back on and pay attention to what this means to the movie scene and then we'll go back to the action. And to be honest, and and don't get me wrong, I like this movie. I just merely want to state like how it sort how watching it a second time sort of made me think a little bit more. Um, I I actually the second viewing, I didn't think they took advantage enough of Nick Cage and Selma Blair being batshit crazy. I think it's a little bit overplayed in the reviews of the movie and in the trailer. When in reality, in the movie, we don't get a ton of that. If anything. The greatest thing that happens is Lance Henriksen shows up as Nick Cage's dad and sort of like saves the finale. But I mean, I would recommend this as a horror watcher, but I definitely could could have a healthy debate about what is wrong with it. I hated the way it ended. Yeah, you know, this movie had a very interesting concept that I thought was fun to watch. You know, the urge to kill your children instead of protecting them. Um, And I think it did it very funny and in an over-the-top way. Uh, Lots of gory stuff. The dialogue is just ridiculous, to be honest. Um, And just an insane Nicholas, I'll use his full name, Nicholas Cage just running around and just screaming about whatever. Um, Obviously, the whole concept of needing to have children, even though it's going to make your life miserable, is kind of a bummer for me whether it was, you know, trying to be topical or not. Uh, there's that whole monologue that Selma Blair has where she's like, you're inevitably going to have kids. It's just going to happen. So you might as well, you know, it's just going to be a magical moment. Like you just got to put everything, it's going to happen for you. It's like, does it have Does it have to happen though? Like maybe um, no. if you think it's going to just be miserable for you, maybe, I don't know, maybe just don't have kids. Uh, maybe... Uh, if uh, you hate kids, don't have them. I don't know. That whole thing was just kind of like, I assume that they were trying to do like a play on everyone's expectations of needing to have children to fulfill whatever, you know, idealistic fantasy, yada, yada, yada. But I was just kind of like pissed the whole time. I was like, what the, Soma, shut the fuck up. What are you talking about? Um, so that just kind of irked me a little bit, but I figured it was all in a jesting kind of way. Um, but I thought it was, you know, a good commentary if that's what they were going for. I liked the choppiness of the flashbacks. Um, I thought it was like really manic. And so it kind of like added to the stress of the whole situation. Um, I wouldn't say the acting or the dialogue were particularly good. Um, but it was definitely a fun, a fun watch either way. So I think the delivery room scene was probably the most effective one. When it comes to the whole, you know, the whole plot. But um, yeah, I thought, you know, the whole thing. Um, But yeah, I thought that was like the most memorable memorable part for me. But I'd watch it again. Yeah, I liked it. I liked Mom and Dad. Um, I did like it more the first time I saw it than I did the second time. I think there's a certain thing that happens once. And once it happens, it doesn't really happen again. Right. But I hated the flashbacks, uh, Kevin. I think the reason why we hated it is, well, I watched it with Connie. And it's a perfectly fun, maniacal, fucked up movie. I watch it with Except Nora. every once in a while, there's a guy in a Camaro with a girl with her tits out. <laughs> and it's like, well, we could have done without that. And me and my daughter wouldn't feel all weird right now. Um, <laughs> I, I want to uh, you know, comment on what Kat was saying. Um, 
the whole the mentality with like, oh, I have a kid now, my life is over, and it's just suffering and sacrifice for this kid, um, and I've I've never had that mentality. No, um, and it's either that or be like a deadbeat parent. There's no in between. Yeah, right. It's either be like a martyr that's suffering all the time because you're a kid, or you're just not there. But um, mom and dad was great. Um, the the shocking part. Uh, is like just seeing the people at first, uh, you get used to it after a while, you get kind of numb to it, but going after their kids and like suffocating with bags. <laughs> when it first starts where they're all waiting at the school like it's to pick up their scene. kids like ravenously, uh, it's really cool. And I like that they're like uh, almost like zombies. It, it reminded me of the movie The Signal. Yes, where yes, people, yes. It's also a, a frequency that affects them. But they're they're not out of it like zombies they have their wits about them and they're cunning and they're trying to it's a game of cat and mouse with their children and you know you have all these things that come back uh dynamics of like regular life uh they know each other they know the ins and outs and they know the house so they know everything so it's not your typical like cat and mouse horror kind of thing and i really like that uh i love 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 the generational thing um, I saw it in the trailer when uh, the, his parents show up to kill them. <laughs> yeah, I, and then I saw it in the movie the first time, and still the second time I saw it, I was still like, "Yes, this rules!" <laughs> yeah. And his parents are there to kill him. Uh, and uh, I, I, I really like that. Selma Blair is also uh, the master of the resting bitch face. Mm. She's very, very good at that. I must learn um, from her. <laughs> but it's basically, you know, a good, like, I want to watch a movie movie. Like, I'm going to go watch a movie, uh, not a high art, it, it, um, you know, like, it had Becky vibes. We watched Becky yes. on the um Yes. Yeah, the, the kids episode. The kids. Yeah. yeah, with the kids. Uh, but it, it was that. It's like an action, uh, you know, like, shock value, oh my God, outrageous kind of ride. And it's fun. It's good. It's a lot different than the other movie we watched this week. The the scene that you're talking about, like when all the parents are outside the school and the teachers are trying to figure out like what's going on, uh, even the opening scene, the very, very opening scene is just a mother getting out of her car and then a train oh happens. Oh my God, I was like, holy yes. crap. Which I guess is why, it's why I was so disappointed in the ending because... I really wanted to know where it went. There was, you know, I guess if you're going to watch this movie, watch it understanding that, like, you're going to finish the movie with zero answers that you're looking for. Well, the, but that's traditional in, in the, the zombie movies, or this also reminded me of Maximum Overdrive, uh, based on the Stephen yeah. King story, where, yeah. like, it's just, a, a, you know, a meteor went by Earth or something, and now you, you don't really know why everyone wants to kill their kids now, but, yeah, it opens up with a woman who leaves her kid in the car on a train track in front of a train, and then from there, the whole world is like, you know, the parents are all waiting for the kids outside the schools to kill them, the maternity wards are a bloodbath, people are having babies and then immediately try to kill them uh, <laughs> Grandparents, grandparents are showing up to kill their the kid. Adult kids, yes, <laughs> like the one generation is trying to kill their kids, and their grandparents are showing up to try to kill them uh, first. But it, it did remind me a lot of uh, we talked about Poltergeist a while back. That 
the mournful middle-aged parents lament which i've never felt from either kevin or dave like and this goes this goes back to the guy that i was talking about that i used to work for it's like i've never felt like you guys had some sort of like burden in your like you know like i, I don't I don't know how much you guys would identify with this idea that, you know, both of the parents in this movie are like, they're just kind of regretting. They don't feel like they've lived their lives. They've, what have they done it all for? They just have these uh, resentful kids who they want to kill. I've never felt that from you guys. I, I, I think, you know, I, at least for me, I think what, what it's trying to say is it's almost like they were saying, like, they were having kids as an excuse to like turn into a lame person or like they thought like, well, having kids will give me an excuse to right, like, this is why I suck. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, it, 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 exactly. Because some of the flashbacks are odd and they show like some of them are very, well, I, I guess thinking about it in retrospect, they're not like necessarily tender. They're incredibly fucked up, but they're m much more subdued than the scene they remove you from. But then you have like the Nick Cage one with the pool table and stuff like that, and it's like, I love you were that. probably never cool. Like, you were mm -hmm. probably never were cool. But, I, I mean, I think Dave would agree, like, the worst thing that we could have done is we decided, you know, like, I wanted to bring a kid into the world to, like, enjoy the life that, that my family has. And if we had adjusted our lives and got rid of everything we love, well, yeah, but that's not going to benefit our kid that at all like the reason that that I wanted to have a child in the world was to be like hey by the way um I'm super happy and I would like to uh share that with someone that can maybe carry that on later in life you know I I, I disagree with something Cass said earlier in reference to these parents in this movie where she was saying like if you don't like kids maybe you shouldn't have a kid um I fucking hate kids I just like my kid <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass like, that. I remember being, I'll pass that I remember on being to my like daughter. on the the playground. My daughter, when she was little, little, and you know, we leave the playground and be like, "That little Phoebe girl's a real bitch." <laughs> <laughs> and she'd be like, "Yeah, she is." You know, like I don't, I don't, I don't think all kids are created innocent. No, and all kids are like, "Oh, boys will be boys." Uh, like they're little douchebags. They're going to grow up to be big <laughs> douchebags. So, you know, you need to handle your kids. I hate when they hit not the, all funny the, uh, the sarcastic stage, when they realize that sarcasm is the thing. And now, oh. like, every you can't say anything. Like, every single thing. And, they, like, <laughs> yeah. you're not even doing sarcasm right. Just shut your miserable mouth. <laughs> That's definitely a thing. Uh, but this is, like, the flip side of A Quiet Place. We talked about the, the point uh, of A Quiet Place being that the only purpose in life is to continue life. And that movie was all about the family as the representation of life. And this movie is all about the family dragging you down, although it does certainly side with the kids. I think it's, it is, like you were saying, Dave, it's more of a statement about how lame the parents are how how shallow and how crappy they are that you're rooting for the kids to survive and you know it would be better if the kids killed the parents by the end of this thing well i love Definitely. i love too that like dave said like it's like a zombie movie but they maintain their personalities they're just like super psyched to kill their kid but the way that the, the way especially like nicholas cage and selma blair so they have a teenage daughter carly who is the stereotypical teenage daughter in a, in a movie, 
you know, hates her parents, is sneaking around with her boyfriend, stealing money out of the purse. And then there appears to be like a much younger, a much younger brother, Josh. So they, they obviously maintain their personalities in the movie. But even after the signal drives all the parents crazy, you watch Nick Cage and Selma Blair, and they're not locked up to kill their kids because they love each other or because they suddenly like each other. They literally, you can tell they still loathe each other. They loathe their lives, and they have just decided we have to kill our fucking kids. Yeah, I guess the whole... Con- I'm So... I'm nearing the uh, ripe old age of 30 years old. And as a woman, if you haven't had kids by then, well, then what the fuck are you doing? 30 for a woman is like 60 for a man. (laughs) Yeah. Ain't that the truth? True. Well, here I am, a childless, uh, middle-aged woman, apparently. You're an old maid. Some might say (laughs) I'm a spinster. And I like it that way. <laughs> Luckily, I have an older sister who has taken the, the responsibility of having a family uh, from me. So I don't have to worry about that. Um, but it still doesn't. It, but I still, every time my stepdad sees me, well, when are you going to start? When are you going to settle down? I'm like, I tried that. Didn't really work. Didn't work out for me. Um, also, I think I make a perfectly respectable pet mother. Uh, my cats are still alive. Haven't killed them, so I'm really killing that game. Um, but yeah, I've just been hearing it since I was, you know, 16 years old or however old. Like, well, you know, no, you're going to change your mind one day. You're going to want kids. You know, it's different when they're your kids. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm telling you right now, like, I don't I don't think I'm super into um, having children. They're like, no, that'll change. You're, you're going to change your mind. I've been hearing it for 15 fucking years. And I got to, you know, I got to say, I'm not probably going to change my mind. At all, do that shit to me. I don't. I don't change my mind out out of spite. I mean, now (laughs) it's a personal vendetta against all children all over the world. Well, also, Um, Kat, whoever was asking you that at fifteen or sixteen years old, we're going to need to know their name, and we're going to need to have them investigated. Oh, my parents! That's who. They're like, well, who's gonna who's gonna pop these kids out? I'm like, I don't fucking. It's not my problem because it's like there's people. They say when you have like a bad childhood. You either want to raise children on your own to make up and like, you know, give someone a really cool life that you didn't receive or you don't want to fucking touch any children with a 10 foot pole because you know how terrible it could end up. And so I have taken the path that I feel is best for me. And some people say that because I've chosen not to have children so I don't make any messed up children that that makes me that would make me a really good parent. And I'm like, that is the most fucked up thing hmm. I could ever think of, but I hear it all the time. You really? Is it really because you don't want to mess up any children? Is that why you don't want to have children? Because you're afraid you would mess no. them up? or I just, just It's just not something you want. It's not something I want, and me, myself, I know that I am a selfish person, and so Same. I want to live my life the way that I want to live it because I was robbed of having a kind of cool life for most of it. So I'm taking the route and I think it's very mature and knowing of myself to know that I don't want to change the way that I live and I don't want to, you know, uh, sacrifice anything that I want to do to just pop out a kid for, you know, for no reason than to just pop a child out. So they'll take care of me when I'm older. Mother of all, father of none. (laughs) I will say, I will say this, and this is not in a, well, you should have had kids way, but it does 
uh, sort of depressed me that some of the best people in my life who I think should be like pursuing, pushing their DNA into the future have mm. chosen not to. That is not meant to pressure you guys. That is literally <laughs> just me being like the world yeah. is a worse place for you not know, having you know what, that, Trent? that carry on. Do you in 10 have years... <laughs> If we haven't had a kid. <laughs> and then you kill it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think that it's necessarily like that. Like, if Cat has a kid, it's not necessarily going to be a carbon copy. Like, oh, it's another cat. Like, boom. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I would hope it not. Could be a, it could be a complete <laughs> douchebag. Cat's kid could be the worst kid mm -hmm. that's ever stepped. It's fair. That's totally fair. Could be a serial earth. killer, so, and then I've made yeah, a serial so maybe killer. You had this little spidey sense. You didn't want to have kids. You don't feel it. You know, like maybe it's for a reason. So they should fucking leave you alone, so your kid doesn't grow up and murder their whole fucking family. Yes, bitch, Ronnie DeFeo. I'm sorry, <laughs> parenting is important to me. It is. Yeah, you got. You know, you guys did it. Cat and Dave and Dave and Kevin, they're they're not any of these cautionary tales. I mean, don't you think? You know, if Dave and, and Kevin can do Smoking it, smoking a joint right now, bro. yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe you know, there's there's a school of thought that maybe it's not that hard. Yeah, uh, with these guys. Oh. <laughs> it's, yes, you're completely right. It, I oh. I don't I don't think it's very hard. Uh, it's the kind of thing people complain about so they can drink more or something. I don't know what it yeah. is. It's not that hard. It's not, just don't make a douchebag. It's your friend you hang out with all the time. And just, you know, they're looking to you for, for answers and you just give them the right ones and, like, let them decide shit for themselves. And, you know. Then you trap them in the basement and you put gas into the basement and seal off all exits and you kill them with gas. Well, I liked the flashback scenes in Mom and Dad. I thought they were cool, and I loved the uh, the flashback scene with Nicolas Cage that you mentioned, Kevin, where he's building the pool table. He decides he needs to build his man cave in the basement, and he's wearing, I think, to his his uh, discredit, and being as shallow and phony and sort of blaming his own children, like what you guys were saying. He's wearing like the later era Misfits T-shirt. First of all, mm. bro, obviously this guy is not uh, legit. He's wearing one of those things. Shopping um, at Hot Topic. Yeah, and it was like, what was the mom? I, the mom reminded me of of when she's trying. When she like tries to go back to the acting school or something. All of a sudden, she wants to like Ugh. go back to do her modeling or whatever. And she's all wistful about, you know, the kids have robbed her of this possible path she, she could have taken in life. She could have been a model and an actress. And, you know, she goes back to that school to try to sort of like relive that. But, oh, no, that's out of reach because of the kids. Um, They're they actually, yeah, these are bad parents for sure. Well, I thought, too, uh, other than the opening scene, which was fantastic, other than Lance Henriksen just fully showing up and kicking ass for a few moments, um, the housekeeper scene. Mm. Ooh. Ooh, doggy! That one was great. The red mop. Um, I love the, the red mop. mop. Oh, that yeah, was a the great red reveal. Mop. Yeah. Um, not not so good scenes. Um, the her boyfriend's dad when mm. her boyfriend gets home on his bike and, and like I did not enjoy that scene for some reason. It was like very unsettling. 
Uh, and honestly, like I said, uh, not just the flashback placement, but I thought that, Kat, you mentioned like there was gore. Like this movie was rated R. I thought we actually got robbed as horror fans of a lot of gore by very choppy, chaotic camera work. And I just mentioned Daniel Pearl did the cinematography, so I'm just going to fully blame Brian Taylor for his direction. But I thought that they cut away from too much. That as a horror fan, I was like, you're already rated R, man. Nothing here is going to push it past that. I would have totally liked to see a little more. This movie has the, uh, you began to mention it, Kevin, the drunk in a wife beater uh, in the recliner. Yeah, didn't like that. Didn't like that. Uh, Like, it has a very creepy dad like that in the movie it um but those dads i mean what happens when those dads are watching these very commercial horror movies because i feel like that's the demographic for this movie so when that part comes on and the alcoholic dad's sitting in his recliner with his wife beater and this douchebag character comes on the, the screen and gets killed because he's such a douchebag that must really hit home i mean I often think, I just think of that, like, I think of, like, I see characters in movies, and I'm like, oh, that's like the lady that uh, waits on me at the grocery store that I see every day. She's like that person. What happens when they watch the movie with a character that's based on them? I don't think they watch this. (laughs) This this is not, like... Maybe not. This is not... probably not very self... Definitely um, not. Observant. You don't think the guy that's exactly like Nick Cage's character watches this movie? No, I think this is not a norm core... Thing I, I don't think this would be on their radar for you Nick, know Nick Cage though it's on Prime it's uh, on Hulu Nick Cage has done a lot of movies that wouldn't be on the radar they probably watched yeah, this guy's cool. other movies Crank Ghost Rider Two yes like I think they watched yes. those yes but I think so they might, might be even the algorithm might be recommending true. this movie to them true potentially well I think we're we're making it sound maybe darker than it is. I I thought this was just so well made that it was like such a fun and easy thing to watch. Like it's a very easy, comfortable, it's like the Dawn of the Dead remake by Zack Snyder. It's kind of, to me, it's kind of like that, uh, but it's just parents. Um, I just think it's I fun. think that's the numbness trend. I think the numbness that we talk about well, I'm numb. uh, with like Ben's Been Dead, we talked about, we have kind of this callous numbness. Sure. Uh, over our view of these horror movies because sometimes mm-hmm. we'll be like, oh, this is a really fun one and someone will be like, what the fuck, <laughs> man? Yeah, like, <laughs> that's a good time. <laughs> Honestly, even just starting from ha- where I was when we first started the podcast to right now, the amount of movies that I watched, I was like, yeah, it was a fun watch now. Like in the before times, yeah. I would have been like, what the fuck, Hereditary? What was that? In the before times. We need in like a cat time. chart. We need some cat <laughs> data where we can see the ascent of cat into completely you know, numbness, like Dave said. I'm I so proud that cat has a before times and that it's <laughs> too. It's about this podcast. Like my before times, like before the pandemic, uh, no. things like that. Like cat has a before time about this show. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the uh, ambiguous ending and the unresolved ending because it, like, it doesn't even matter. I mean, your parents will die, and you'll die, and all of this just goes on. Your legacy, you know, if you're if you're lucky enough to have not experienced, um, you know, death of parents or or death of of children, you know nothing is going to be resolved the legacy of of everything you know goes on through the generations so i don't really think there is a resolution hopefully 
Uh, they take care of you. Maybe, you know, you guys, at least Dave and Kevin, you'll have somebody maybe check in on you, make sure they're turning you over in your bed and, you know, and stuff like that, not abusing you, stealing your money and dentures. I'll, I'll just be shoved in somewhere. We just said we're coming up on a very important time in the development yeah, of our could, children. You <laughs> are. Out. The proof of the pudding is the next five years for you guys. This is why I'm, the, I'm excited to see the fun stuff is coming to a close, in my opinion. Hey, I, I'm good. I'm sophomore year now in high school, and I'm still good. That's true. Dave, you know, Dave true. still hasn't graduated high school. He's a great role model for his daughter. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a this is a great pick. Uh, really glad you guys picked it. If it was our week, however, I would have picked a Serbian film and made you guys watch it again and talk about our kids. <laughs> Before, now, before we wrap this up, I just wanted to mention a couple of randos on Mom and Dad. So, Zachary Arthur plays the little brother Josh in this that I mentioned, Nick Cage and Selma Blair's son. He's actually going to be playing the main protagonist in Don Mancini's upcoming Chucky TV series, which is supposed to be setting up as a prequel to a Don Mancini-helmed eighth film, all of which will ignore the 2019 reboot. So Don Mancini's taking 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 his uh his his franchise back. Uh, I love the music in this. Uh, music the the score was done by somebody named Mr. Bill, who I can't find anything on other than the fact that he Ooh, has no. a podcast. Mr. Bill has a podcast or something. I think it's called. Um, but I love the songs they use. Like like the the placement of it must have been love by Roxette in this movie is is so good like there's i i i usually bristle and i'm sure you guys do too when they place like rock songs in like a horror movie and i'm usually very critical it's usually bad when they do that this this movie did it very very well uh and then there's there's a reviewer for RogerEbert.com that i think trent you've had you've had to pull talk me off the ledge a few times on patreon episodes his name is Simon Abrams. Oh, you hate that he guy. Do, yeah. He does a majority of the horror reviews for uh, Ebert.com. And I don't know why, because I almost always disagree with him. Uh, but I do pay attention to him. <clears throat> he loved this. But his review outlines exactly how I can fall like on either side of this movie. And he has phrases like gear shifting, which I think refers to the flashbacks. But he called Nick Cage and Selma Blair cartoonishly repressed parents and I thought that was like a brilliant way to describe them This week, I picked the 2018 debut film of Ari Aster, Hereditary. (laughs) The Graham family are a group that are cursed both by biblical bad luck and a genetic disposition toward various types of mental illness. When the secretive matriarch of the family passes away, her daughter and grandchildren are haunted by a mysterious presence as they begin to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry, trying to outrun the sinister fate 
that they have inherited. This fucking <laughs> movie. I don't right? even know where to begin. I don't even yeah, know where to I begin. I know. It's hard. Whew. I was saving myself for the podcast to watch this movie because I, for some reason, had never seen it when it first came out. And then we started the podcast and I was like, why don't I wait? I'm going to watch it with the boys because I like experiencing the you know classics here with you in real time. Um, I knew I was in for a doozy and I hadn't been spoilered for it. And I don't know how. Um, even Trent nice. texted me to tell me specifically that I wasn't ready for this movie, which I appreciated <laughs> him dropping some truth bombs. And he was correct. He was absolutely right. Um, but what a fucking movie. I really not what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, especially to be destroyed so early on in the movie with so much left to watch. Um, I was absolutely emotionally annihilated uh, 30 minutes in, obviously. Um, As a whole, the movie seemed pretty tame, you know, gore and subject matter wise. But then you just get these certain points where you just absolutely are just blown away by whatever is happening on the screen. Um, It made me want to mute and look away so many times, but I was like, can't gotta watch it from this fucking podcast. So that was nice for me. Um, I can't imagine being Toni Collette in this movie, the turmoil that she has to go through, just trying to empathize with her character um, was hard because it's just all so fucked up. Uh, Midsommar has become one of my favorite movies since watching it for the podcast. So I knew- Are you Yiddish? Am I, what? Are you Yiddish? No. Midsommar? Midsommar? <laughs> I, I didn't know. that. I, I've never heard that accent before. Midsummer has become one of my favorite <laughs> movies <laughs> since watching it on the podcast. You're <laughs> I hate you guys so much. Um, so I knew I would love this movie. <laughs> Obviously, it's the same director. Very similar sound design, the shots, transitions eerie vibes fucked upness um on my first watch i obviously didn't really understand anything that was going on um so i think it's absolutely worth a second and or third oh yeah um all the way through but i enjoyed it as much as i am emotionally capable of enjoying things at this moment in time so <laughs> wow yes that is great i was so excited that you had never seen this before i'm mm. so proud of you <laughs> I absolutely love this movie. I watched this in the theaters twice and then immediately uh, was like, Connie, you need to see this movie. It's amazing. And then at that point, it was out of the theaters. So she was like, oh, I, Papa, I have, uh, I got like a gift certificate for my iTunes or something. So she was like, I could just buy it and that way I'll have it. And I could, we could just watch it whenever. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, great. So, you know, she dropped like $15 and bought it and watched it and was like, I never want to see that movie ever again. <laughs> and like every time she opens her iTunes and that's like the only image like over in the corner like of things you purchased, mm-hmm. it like she hates it. It's like be- become like loathsome for her um, <laughs> because this movie was so, it's like dark and it like breaks your heart. Uh, the 
the lack of communication with the family, and in the midst of all this really, really heavy, weighty drama, uh, you have my favorite horror, actually, in the whole movie, which is these nighttime bedroom scenes, which is quite the opposite of Midsummer, where you're just staring into the darkness. And so they create these scenes that are like masterful with, with light, in my opinion, because it's dark, but you can see certain things and they'll just have things move or things look a certain way or they'll, uh, you know, like deprive you of a clear view, which makes you focus in more and they'll do something scary and fast. It's a glimpse. That's my favorite kind of horror. That's the shit that scares me where it just kind of like leaves a small impression uh, that almost stimulates your imagination instead of like seeing it like super gratuitously. Um, so I really love that. Um, the girl is terrifying. I mean, I, I feel bad because I feel like uh, she wouldn't even need to act and she would just be terrifying because she has kind of a terrifying face. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And I wonder, how, like, I want all these people, I want all these people to get into acting and do this because sometimes that's what's scary in a movie. This person just has terrifying features <laughs> and there's something yeah. about the way that their eyes go down and it's terrifying and it scares people. I don't know if that's wrong or what, um, but it does make me feel a little weird that this is like a young girl that it has to deal with that image and the whole world being like, oh, my God, you're gross. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I love Hereditary. I, th I think it's very psychological. Uh, it has a beautiful build. It's one of the best debut horror films in a long time. I mean, I, I loved, I was a huge fan of Ari Aster after this. And then Midsummer came out, and I was like, wow, this guy is, like, right up at the top. He, like, just went straight to the top because of his techniques and scaring and his subtleties. And uh, there's a lot of like slow zoom in shots that are agonizingly slow, but it, it really sucks you into the movie. And in my opinion, I mean, this movie is slow. This is not a fast paced movie. It has a huge climax, but uh, it's, it's pretty slow going. Like if you have a bunch of people like you throw this on and people are talking and shit, it's going to have no impact. It's one of those movies you have to get completely engrossed in. But, uh, one of my favorites of like all time. I think that this is the greatest horror movie <laughs> of the past 30 years. And I would years. like to, if you think, I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't mean this like as a, as a gag. I mean, like, who has made a better horror movie in thirty years than Hereditary? It, what is there? It's reminiscent of like The Exorcist. It's reminiscent of yeah, The absolutely. Exorcist. Absolutely, it's reminiscent of every great horror movie. I, I cannot. I really have been thinking like after nineteen ninety. I mean, my favorite horror movie of the past five or six years was uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. But that's like my personal yep. favorite. If I was going to say the greatest, I just, I can't think of, and it's almost hard to talk about because this movie is so great. I can't think of a better movie, a better horror movie that anyone has made since 1990 than Hereditary. It's, it almost gets to the to the point of it's just like, 
just see it. It's hard to talk about. It's a lot. It is um, almost immobilizing. And and the repeat viewing, as you mentioned, Kat, I mean, this movie just gives and gives the more you watch it. And to think about being the debut feature film written and directed by Ari Oster, I mean, um, it reminded me quite a bit of The Witch, which was the debut, I believe, feature film of, uh, of Eggers. And to, you know, to do something like that, your first time out, like Robert Eggers did with The Witch, it's like, I don't even know how that's possible. And I think this was like part of the whole beginning of people talking about quote unquote elevated horror, which to me just means like a good horror movie. But this was part of like mainstream culture getting on board with horror. And I think there has been upsides and there have been downsides of that. Um, but it just I just don't think movies get better than this of any genre. Um, it's just it's an incredible, incredible movie. I, I, I cannot recommend this enough if you haven't seen this. It's so heavy, it's so raw, it's so real. The performances are just over the top good. Everyone is amazing. Everyone talks about Tony Collette, but you have uh, um, Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, more like uh, Gabriel Byrne. B-U-R-N. Burned. Uh, yeah, more like Gabriel Burned <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> Am I right? Mm. You are right. You know, You're not wrong. When you were just talking about how great this movie is, I was thinking about how we've been very fortunate the last decade. Like the last decade of horror is, I feel like it's going to be like looked at as one of the golden ages. Yep. Uh, there's so many great movies in the last 10 years uh you know get outs and a lot of new directors and a lot of great stuff we're like really lucky i i think that that's what uh started this whole podcast is when these really great horror movies start hitting one after another we're texting and everything we're having these crazy in-depth conversations in this text thread and we're like we need to start a podcast because there's so many great things but this is one of the ones that was a conduit for that I feel like because um, it was so it was so good it was so impactful Kevin did we see this together at the theater you guys saw it with Tony yeah. right oh di- okay I couldn't remember yeah this was a theater watch this was a tough theater watch um, so when we watch Mid Midsummer, Kat got you back <laughs> thank you when we watched that last year it tongue. was so the episode was happening around a time that Dave I was like driving up to watch you guys at like narrow gauge. And I was so obsessed with Midsummer because I, I had avoided it because it's so long. It's like what, two hours and like 40 minutes. But I loved it so much that I was watching it as many times as I could. And then like had to, had to like drive up, catch your show, uh, come back. And then I was obsessed with Ari Aster again. So I started watching Hereditary on repeat. So watching it this time, Dave, you once once made a comment to me when we uh, were going to do Get Out. You were like, yeah, I have that movie memorized. Like, I literally have Hereditary and, and Midsummer memorized. Like, I, I, I didn't I need too. to watch these movies again, but I did. I wanted to watch Hereditary again at least twice. I did subject my family to it a little bit when they were down here, fully knowing what scenes to completely leave them out of. Um but like that's not right no it's it's it was i think completely appropriate but a cu- couple of, of, of you guys just made a good point about 
comparing mom and dad to a quiet place, which we keep coming back to. This movie compares to it in the same way yep. in that A Quiet Place, we talked about how they were in an advantageous place because of their ability to communicate. This movie is one of the most accurate depictions of a family's inability to communicate that I've ever seen on screen. Yep. If, if anything is more terrifying than the actual horror scenes in Hereditary, it's literally feeling things that we have all felt in and it doesn't have to be family. It can be a relationship in your life where you literally can't communicate. And this family is so incapable of communicating. But the, the, the depiction of mental illness is so amazingly good. But the way that Aster, where he gets the horror in here, other than, again, the overt horror scenes, the way that he kind of makes you wonder if he's really showing mental illness or not or if this is something scary is just as impactful so he's already isolated you he's put you in this big beautiful house he's shown you all of these miniatures so tony collette's character uh annie she um, is a miniaturist which i uh, did not know was a career that existed prior to hereditary and aster i'm a miniaturist porn star actually that's great Ooh. good good for you uh, yep. unsubscribe Uh, (laughs) but the way that Aster shows you the house he's like isolating you and we talk about uh, settings a lot on the show and how sometimes like a singular setting can take away from a movie sometimes how a singular setting can really add to a movie Aster puts you in this bizarre like dollhouse version of the Graham family home he sets it up that they can't communicate that there's some deep-seated shit here that you assume you're going to get some history on and and it's going to move forward. And then he shows you, you know what? There might be something else going on here. So let me fuck with your head for two hours and make you wonder if this is something sinister or if this is just plain old, and I guess I shouldn't say plain old, if this is mental illness. Uh, This is one of my favorite movies ever i would watch this over and over again i don't even mind that it's over two hours i'm the guy on the show that always complains that movies were over two hours both movies we watched this week somehow were over two hours i would watch this again and again and dave your exorcist comment is like spot on i don't think there's been a supernatural sort of demonic horror movie as good as the exorcist until we got hereditary uh well, M- Mom and Dad is only 83 minutes, to be clear. Mom and no, and I, I thought I had it done at two hours. Eh, whatever, whatever. <laughs> potato, potato. I was getting some, uh, I got some Rosemary's Baby vibes from this one. Big yeah, time. Sure. Totally. Big time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just try and stay out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to say anything to like to compare anything to Rosemary's Baby now. I'm still pissed about <laughs> that. Episode one. Fuck you, Trent. Uh, sorry, three episodes. Three well, episode two. Episode two. No, it episode was episode two. two. Episode you guys two. Oh, sorry, even. episode two. I can't like say enough. I know like Tony Collette got a lot of accolades for this, but I felt like she should have gotten like so many awards yeah. for this performance. She's incredible. Um, she really went like. I felt like Kevin was talking about how maybe Nicolas Cage could have gone a little more off the deep end. I think that's only because we saw Mandy that we think. Yeah, that. true. But. I do agree with that that statement, but uh, like she goes off the deep end in this, and I love 
Ari Aster has like a really subtle sense of humor that every time he drops a little thing and like Midsummer to me, there are parts that are just hilarious because they just hit home, like where they're drinking the mushroom tea and all that shit. Uh, like, I'm going to stand up. You guys want to stand up? Yeah, it feels good to stand up. You should stand up. Like, that shit is funny to me. And in this movie, when the son is like, he wakes up and he's like, Mom, what the fuck? You were like trying to pull my head off. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. It's just like, uh, it's just like this mundane form of violence. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I don't know. Not, not much in this movie is funny, but when he decides to drop a little lightness it's it's very very nuanced yeah i mean and, when and everything's nuanced yeah when when you watch mom and dad and that's the light one and you're like that that's that's I, the comedy one and then you watch hereditary and instead of painting the parents as like shallow it's just it's a, just about like evil the, the evil long term damage that parents can do and and then children aren't absolved either. I thought one of the most powerful scenes was the dinner scene with Tony Collette, and it's just God. jaw dropping. Oh. I mean, it just stops your heart when you hear her um, her whole monologue there. It's just really incredible stuff and uh, really profound. The way that it, it, it in a much more serious way than Mom and Dad, the way that it deals with the the generational heritage and the legacies of the the bad part of that. There's really no let up in this. There's nothing. <laughs> In this movie that gives you any respite at all. No, it's just is like one of the bleakest uh, movies we've probably talked about. I would like to vote. I would like to vote mm. uh, for Grandma as Mommy of the Week. <laughs> wow! <laughs> like what? Like say... that bitch had swag. She had swag. <laughs> she did. She had like the amulets and shit, <laughs> and like she was all evil and conniving <sighs> to get like uh, the demons uh, love her. Yeah, I don't know. The the dynamic between mother and son for Hereditary was very much heartbreaking for me. That was just a major bummer. And that's that moment that I was talking about before. You know, I had kids because I had to, like kind of a situation. Well, my mom made me do it. You know, she said I had to do it. I couldn't get, I tried to get rid of you. And it's like, Joel, can you imagine? Yeah, she says, I never wanted to be your mother. Yeah, and he's like, why? Uh, my father said the words to my mother. The only reason I married you is because I thought you couldn't have kids. So, oh wow. Yeah, so. I mean the the family dynamic is huge. Dave, I think you were talking about Millie Shapiro, uh, who plays mm-hmm. Charlie, and she actually is a Tony Award winning Broadway actress. Yeah, she is. This was her feature film debut, but she had done some great work on Broadway for playing uh, Matilda. Uh, she has something called, bear with me, cladocranial dysotosis. So that is some of the differences in appearance that Millie Shapiro has. Well, not only is there her, but there is everyone at the end that is hideous. Yeah, Ari Aster has a real thing for like naked old people too. We we probably should get into that a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> maybe not maybe not like, now, maybe on the side, but uh, I am a little worried about that. All these people are leaving this casting with a gig and they're like, 
he thinks I'm ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I was cast as but Uggo number gig. three. <laughs> no, but but I, I I I this is a tough movie to like really get into the progression of it without it is. being give, getting spoilers. And I realized that I thought this was like this was a one off for potentially being like a sixty minute episode on one movie. But but let's just say that. Annie, Tony Collette's character, has had a really messed up childhood. Her, when her mother dies, some things start happening to the family, and you start to discover that her mother had some other stuff going on. And yes, Charlie, did. Dave's mommy of the week, had some stuff going on. Charlie uh, is is probably the most interesting character of the movie, other than. The son, other than Peter, played by Alex Wolf, and I, uh, I only saw him in My Friend Dahmer, but he's done some stuff. He actually uh, was in a TV show with Gabriel Byrne, where they again played father and son. Um, Alex's character. My my memory of this movie was as the family continuously goes through these horrible things, and it leads up to discovering what the history really is and what they are basically predisposed to have happened to them. This movie, again, is about lack of choice as well. Not just all the other themes we've talked about. This is a, this movie is heavily about lack of choice. Accepting that, like, predestined. you're predestined to do this, and it's not your fault. It's somebody else's in your, in your past fault. But when I watched this previously, I was like, man, Peter, Peter progressively looks like shit, which is still true. But watching it this time, I was like, Oh wait, Peter looks like shit from the beginning. And they just make him look like an absolute landfill by the end of his journey. And it's a great performance by Alex Wolf. I think a lot of people focus on Tony Collette for good reasons. We don't need to go down the ah, she should have got a Golden Globe, should have got an Oscars. Everyone has said that already. But I think that that Alex Wolf's portrayal as Peter is is just as impactful to this particular movie, maybe not as good as a performance, but as impactful to this movie as Tony Collette's, and that dude should get some props. Every single person in this movie is incredible. All the performances are great. Every single step, this is the way something just transcends. I don't know how this happens. I don't know how everyone involved in the entire movie from top to bottom does an incredible job and just makes this totally transcendent experience. You're not even watching a movie. You're just like watching a version of life that is so resonant, so incredible. Again, uh, it's hard to even talk about. You just you have to see Hereditary. And we can't overlook uh, the the lady who's from A Handmaid's Tale, who plays uh, the lady Joan? who's at the the grief group. Oh, Joan, Joan. Is so good. Oh my God, I love Joan. Yeah, she's I know great. Joan. Don't you feel like you know Joan? You know Joan. <laughs> yes, I yeah. do. He, he got some like fuck Joan. He got some serious. Aunt he Joan. got some serious actors in this. Obviously, Gabriel Byrne, Tony Collette, but Anne Dowd who plays Joan. She's very recognizable. She's been in a ton of stuff, and yeah, Handmaid's Tale probably most recently. Uh, the cast is amazing. Uh, this guy named Colin Stetson did the music, and he's this like multi instrumentalist that does all this work with like Bonnie Vare, Arcade Fire. He's toured with Tom Waits he, to to tie this movie to Nick Cage. He did the Color Out of Space score, which is great. 
cinematography was done by Paul Pogorzelski, who was a classmate of Astor's at the American Film Institute. He would also go on to do the cinematography for Midsummer or Midsommar. Uh, we, we talked about how this movie was Astor's debut. Incredible. So we talked about trying to think. You brought up The Witch. Both of these movies are from Studio A24, which is a studio that is going to come up on this show a lot. It's totally in in most of our wheelhouses. Uh, this was a $10 million budget, and it made $80 million. At the time, it was A24's highest-grossing movie of all time. And nobody expected this. This was an A24 film that was like, okay, we'll, we'll make like $24 million, we'll break even, and we'll make some dough on home video and streaming. Uh, but interestingly, we talk about how this is one of our favorite movies of all time. It is a critical darling. Everybody in the horror critic world loved it. This movie on exit polls got a D plus from people exiting the wow. movie. Well, can you blame them? Do you remember the mar- <laughs> do you remember the marketing of this movie? It was really good marketing. And it totally didn't prepare you for what you were going to see. And you thought you were going to see point, The Conjuring or something. Exactly. Friday night, it, it have was, some popcorn. It was, it was perfectly timed to come out and perfectly marketing to be like, let's get those Conjuring dollars. And, oh, everybody that knows shit will love it. And sorry that we took your 12 bucks. You know, I read a thing about that, about the psychology of that when people watch a movie the same year that this came out, Mother came out, which was a very polarizing yeah, movie. Yeah. And when they they did the test screenings for audiences, they both did very poorly. And the reason why is because American audiences especially aren't used to leaving a movie feeling terrible. <laughs> right. And they don't they don't like right. it. They're not used to yes. it. They want some sort of thing wrapped up at the end. They want to feel good and they walk out in the parking lot, they feel great. Like, you feel weird. You can't even walk right when you get out of the movie theater and you watch Hereditary. <laughs> you can't even walk right. You're just, like, weird and uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and you and your family don't know how to talk <laughs> anymore because you feel like you're the family in the movie. Oh. <laughs> I'm yeah, serious. It's, it's like yeah, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. Yeah, it does have a profound effect on you. And that's what I'm and looking for. That's why people don't like these. Yeah, that's what we want. What we want that. We, we're familiar with that. <laughs> I just want to feel something. So there's a real-life incident in 2004 from Marietta, Georgia that has to do with a telephone pole, the telephone pole scene. Mm. That that inspired Ari Aster, Mm. and it was two guys driving home drunk. They were young guys. One was like 21, one was 23. One stuck his head out the window because he was super hammered and wanted some air. And his buddy driving uh, swerved and something happened. Uh, he received five years in jail for this because they were childhood friends. And the parents of the deceased uh, wanted leniency. And it's a cr- you can look it up pretty easy. It's a crazy story. Were any of you guys ready for the telephone pole scene? Because I no, was absolutely not. No, I was not. I was not. It's 100% Why would I have been amazing. ready for that? Because of how uh, heavily they were used in the trailer. Well, yes. Y- you th- in the trailer, yes. you yes. watch the trailer, you think that that character is is, is hanging responsible around. for all the terrifying yes. things. Yeah. And then 
to have in the first part of the movie that character is gone. The, the tragedy, you think that the tragedy, the central tragedy of the film has already happened. And, and you think you mm-hmm. know what this film is dealing with and what the tragedy is. And then you're on the rest of the journey. But no, that is not the central tragedy of the film. We can say that much. There's much more uh, tragedy. And Ari Aster is a just monster. incredible. Ari Aster is he so is good. amazing. Yeah. I love so him. good. One of the one of the great things he did is like the movie starts with some of the the miniature uh, like settings that Tony Collette's character Annie is doing. So what Astor did is the house in Hereditary, he built the whole thing on a soundstage, so that you could remove yes. the walls. Yeah, and that's how you get some of these like long deep shots that shouldn't be possible that made the real life shots of the family and the rooms in the house look like the miniature houses and or a dollhouse. Well, that's how I got Connie not scared of this movie because we got it on iTunes and we got all the extras. And then after we watched it, we watched the making of it. Ah. Which I, that's a thing I used to do when I was, when I was way younger and I'd watch a movie and it would scare me super much. If I saw the making of it, even in Fangoria, if I saw them doing like the, the practical effects and everything, that provided comfort to me because I was like, oh, it's not real. They're just doing this. This movie is so terrifying and so engaging that uh, you have to have that reminder that it's not real. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and that's like one of the things with horror movies. Like you pull back the curtain and you look into it. And it makes it way less scary. That's kind of like what we Well, do. there you are, parenting once again. An, <laughs> a, an example. <laughs> a great example. Talking about why, why Ari Aster is so good, Toni Collette herself, a legend who gave the performance, I, I think, of her career in this, said he is the most prepared director she has ever worked with. That's coming from Toni Collette. And you read about this. It's easy to find. You read about so many other people that read the script but then they met with Ari Aster. So the makeup department, the guy that ran that, also wanted to take on the miniature. Uh, and he would meet with Ari Aster, and he was like, the guy just knew exactly what he wanted. He walked on set day one, and he knew he had scouted every location. He knew every single scene, how it was going to be shot, where the cameras needed to be, where everybody needed to be, and we got this movie done. I mean, I... I I think I think we're gonna see. I think I texted Trent like he better not fuck up feature number three because he literally is close to being on the top of the mountain right now. What you have is you have a list best actors of all time with these fucking terrifying featured people, (laughs) the naked old people like oh weirdbody.com go cast (laughs) for this. You know what I mean and. It's like they're probably unnerved by being in a movie with all these naked, weird-looking people. Uh, And it's a technique in horror that, I don't know, um, it's effective. I don't know if it's it's moral or how these people feel about it. Gives me like a, it's reminiscent to me of uh, like freak freak shows and uh, circus sideshows. Like when people used to have people that looked weird for shock value and make money off it or whatever. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that, uh, that, that aspect of it almost makes it have a deeper level of disturbing. And it must, 
actually affect the actors that are in the movie that are acting with these people that are in the scene with a bunch of naked, weird-looking people. Like, you know, it's like that we talk about practical effects versus CGI. The people are reacting to what's happening in front of them. And in all of Hereditary, it's very, very disturbing. It's very scary. And it's very realistic. And they take the supernatural, like, right to the point where I still believe it. And I, I appreciate that, you know, like with the, the rituals and the uh, the seance to talk to the, the, the oh, people man. and all that stuff. So good. They, break, they take it right to the, the threshold of what is believable. You know what I mean? Uh, like if it happened to you. 